since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephanos. I told him, uh-oh, it's a good start. I told Stephanos before the service that he needed to get off stage as quick as possible. I guess he did all right. I guess he did all right. Hey, guys, let me pray. Let me pray. Father in heaven, God, you are good. God, I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your goodness, to preach your word. God, I pray that you make little of me right now, God, and more of you. You're needed in this room, God. I pray that your spirit moves, that you're softening hearts of stone, that you're changing minds that you're drawing men and women to yourself. God, I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. All right. That's pretty good. First service? Well, if you don't know me, my name is Adam Comer. Um, I have been serving LifePoint for almost 12 years now. Um, Not as a staff member, but as a, uh, just a member of the church, as a deacon. Um, yeah, and it's been a journey with my wife and I. So I'm also, as Kyle said, I'm a pastor uh, for an addiction recovery ministry called S2L Recovery. And if you've never seen someone with a towel, (laughs) you've never seen a hefty man preach. (laughs) Or a Pentecostal service. So so just bear with me. I'm a hefty man. Um, But yeah, so God's called me to uh, Middle Tennessee, and, and man, he's been gracious to me. And honestly, <laughs> I don't want to get emotional. I really don't care to get emotional, but that wasn't a part of the plan. Um, I guess I need to pause just because if you would have asked me 12 years ago if I would have been preaching to an amazing church like this, I would have laughed. I would have laughed because during that time, I was battling an opiate addiction that was literally killing me slowly and ripping my family apart. The only woman that I ever loved, my high school sweetheart, had separated from me. I'd lost all my friends and family, finances. I'd gone to secular rehabs and uh, was told that I had to be this the rest of my life. And man, my life did not look like what it does today. I came to S2L, I came to Middle Tennessee and came to S2L, and I heard something different. I heard that uh, just the purest form of the gospel, that God loved me, like right there, not because of what I did, but because of what he did. And that because of that love, because of the work of uh, the cross of Christ, man, I didn't have to be an addict my whole life, like I've been told that I was made new. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And man, there was so much hope inside of that. 
man, I, I began to feel called. I began to feel like God's calling me to do something, to help other men that have gone through the things that I've gone through. Uh, the problem was is my marriage that was destroyed is now being restored, but she lived two and a half hours away in Knoxville. And so they asked me to stay on here and be an intern at S2L. And I said, okay, I do feel called. And then they asked me to, uh, after a few months, hey, we want you to be a staff member and you're going to make $50 a week. I was like, okay. <laughs> Give them the church answer. Let me call my wife. We're going to pray about it. Give us three days. Knowing that the answer was definitely no. I couldn't, you know, have my wife move here making $50 a week. Everything we knew was in Knoxville. My family, her family, any potential for a career. And so I got on the phone with my wife. And I said, hey, babe, I committed to praying. Let's pray. On the second day of praying, my wife's boss came to her, said, hey, Katie, there's an opportunity for you to potentially have a promotion, but you'd have to move to Middle Tennessee to take it. <laughs> really? All right, God, we get it. Man, and, and, and just since then, the Lord's just been moving through obedience. You know, I started, like I said, $50 a week, cleaning toilets, driving the van. Moving on, God opened doors to where, I don't know, a few, five or six years ago, the board voted me to be the chief executive officer. We went from three staff members to over 40. The beautiful part now that we have two beautiful kids and they're terrorizing your childcare workers right now. <laughs> Our marriage is stronger than ever, 15 years. And I've just been blessed to see thousands of men and families be restored. And so when I stand here and I tell you, man, this is, this is an honor. God, God is, has a, a sense of humor. And with that said, not a sense of humor, but I do want to shamelessly plug something. On August 31st, we're having a benefit concert at the Smyrna campus uh, with Ben Fuller, LifePoint's own Travis Ryan, and One Common. I'd love for you to come. Register at s2l.life or you can scan the QR code. Come and support the ministry. So, all that aside, man, a part of my growth, a part of what I've done over the last 10, 11 years, and what this church has poured into is that live sent. That live sent. And so, it's so important for us to continue this mission of LifePoint. We're to live sent to a world that owes God worship. Owes God worship. It's not enough worship for just the people in this room. It's not enough worship to God to bring God glory for the amount of people in Rutherford County or the nation or the world. We have to live sent, and that's what the only way that we could do that is by faith. And that's the ser uh, sermon that we're in, the series that we're in, by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of of things not seen. <laughs> At the end of the Hall of Faith, the author tells us why he wanted to document these acts of faith. And I say the author of Hebrews because it's not known who the author is. Many people believe it was Paul, but it hasn't been shown who the author is. And that's where the reading came in, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin 
which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, so the hall of faith, the hall of fame, hall of faith, that's what this chapter is about. Man, it's, it's designed to show us mighty men and women that have had this faith, and it should cause us to cling to the cross, to, to be drawn to Christ, and not only just biblical men and women of valor that had faith, man, I think that we should look at people in our own lives, people in church history. I, I remember walking in the doors of S2L, a broken man. There was a pastor named Ron Anderson, man, that showed me in the darkest season of my life that God loved me. He taught me that conviction is a good thing. Man, that's something that we should all learn because conviction gets such a bad rep. I mean, especially if you've been in the judicial system, you're convicted. But he showed me that conviction was a gift of God, and then he showed me how to respond to it in repentance. I think of men like Kurt Wagner. Many of you know he was the pastor of this church before it was LifePoint. And by faith, Kurt knew that the gospel had to continue and be proclaimed at this campus. And in humility, he did whatever it took for this church to survive. I think of men like David McCayman. He pastored the LifePoint Church. He, he took his family to Bangkok, Thailand for years. <laughs> Man, moved back here. And what was this campus? He started preaching every Sunday faithfully at Oakland Middle School in the cafeteria. Check this out. Kurt's obedience and faith collides with David's obedience and faith. And here we are today, worshiping God at Life Point Riverdale. I think of men like Pat Hood, my mentor. Served Life Point for 30 years. And recently has endured some of the greatest suffering. And by faith, he's shown us how to cling to Christ. Watching that has changed my life. I was at their house the night before Amy passed. I've watched this journey of healing and just Pat clinging to the only thing he knew, which was the gospel. I saw him preach to himself, preach to himself, even if he didn't believe it in that season. And then lastly, I think of men like Kyle Gowen. <laughs> Your pastor personally has taught me how to love people well, how to shepherd a team. And I'll tell you this from the bottom of my Your pastor has no rival when it comes to loving people well and caring for souls. He has no rival. I've met none. And in the ministry that I serve, I get to partner with a lot of churches. Kyle Gowen is a special, special pastor. You guys are very lucky to have him. We have so many examples of those that have walked by faith that it should encourage us to fix our eyes on Christ. One of the New Testament examples of such faith is Stephen, the martyr. We're going to be in Acts 6 and 7 primarily, but let me catch you up on who Stephen is. Stephen is one of the first deacons in the early church. 
The early church was growing at such a rate that the elders were stretched thin. They were not able to take care of the ministry needs of all the believers. The Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, the widows were falling lower and lower on the, on the list of what was getting done. And so the elders decided to vote and have deacons. Acts 6.3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Stephen was one of these men. So it's important before we dive into what Stephen and his faith, and Stephen served tables before he preached sermons. So the first point, sermon point, is by faith, do the small things. I mean, in just a few short verses, we're going to see Stephen laying down his life for the sake of the gospel. And we'll see Stephen's death as arguably the catalyst for world missions the first martyr. But in order for God to use him on a larger scale, he had to be faithful with seemingly insignificant tasks. God called him to be obedient to serve tables. Man, and I think it's natural for us to think, when we think of faith and these mighty men and women of valor, we think of pastors and missionaries and speaking to thousands and hundreds and people getting saved all over the place. But I think faith looks a lot like serving in the preschool ministry. Greeting people, making coffee. In the parable of talents in Matthew 25, 21, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. D.L. Moody says this, There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord. But few of us are willing to do the little things. I think, hold on, I guess I'll just use me, and, and hopefully you can relate. In, in thinking that there's almost like there's these levels of faith. Like we want to be the faith that does this, but the faith to do this we're not so sure of. Or we don't even categorize that as faith. Even moving back to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we kind of get a taste of this. There's two separate faiths that the book talks about. Follow along with me. In verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. And then women receive back their dead by resurrection. I think this is what we think of, at least for me. And this is what incredible faith is. You conquered kingdoms. You shut the mouths of lions. You were mighty in war. That's easy for me to see, okay, those men, those women were mighty in faith. Look at what they did. They were conquerors. But I mean, literally, that ended in verse 35a, verse 35b, man, it, it changes the story. It goes like this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so, they, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love this. Of whom the world 
was not worthy. Wandering about in the desert and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Which faith is better? The conqueror or the one that can say, I'm going to torture you. And man, this isn't like waterboarding. This is first century Old Testament torture. There were no rules. We torture you, or if you stop talking about God, we'll let you go. No, we refuse to accept release. What do you do with that person? Man, that faith right there is strong. And I guess I'll bring it to more modern times. And again, I'm not on staff at LifePoint, so I feel fine talking about this. Many of us, I think many of us would claim to give our life for the gospel, to give our life for the cause of Christ. But are we willing to give our tithes? And the air just got sucked out of the room, but I don't care. <laughs> they don't pay me. It's a biblical mandate. And, and here's what I've come to the conclusion. If you're not willing to give your tithe, there's no chance you're willing to give your life. Let's get back to Stephen. It wasn't long into Stephen's deacon ministry that he was accused of blaspheming the law and desecrating the temple. And here, here's what we see in Acts 6, 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The next sermon point is by faith, stay calm among the chaos. <laughs> you see, Stephen gets himself into a bit of mess when living scent becomes a full contact sport. Anybody ever had that happen? <laughs> I guess it's just me. I remember, I mean, many, 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 many years ago, I was coaching my son's little league baseball game. And as a pastor, I was dedicated. I was like, we're going to pray with these kids. This is the city baseball league, but I'm going to pray with them. They're going to see an example of a, of a godly man. And then a little bit of chaos hit in one of the games. And an umpire decided it was best if I was thrown out of the game. <laughs> and this was last year, not a lot of long, long time ago. <laughs> Hold on, give me a second. I'm competitive, very competitive, and the umpire was picking on my son. 
cut me some slack. No, it was a teaching moment. A very, my wife was super embarrassed. Um, I was angry. Um, but as I was watching the game from outside of the park, you know, the conviction of the Lord hit me. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? This is literally. <laughs> Your son's seven. And so I went back in, um, and this umpire was young, and he's a good guy. But I went back in, and I used it as a teaching moment. I went up and apologized to him and asked him, hey, can you come uh, over and let me discuss what just took place in front of the team? And I ate crow, apologized, instructed to them, hey, you got to respect the authority. It was a teaching moment that I had to be humble. But man, I did not stay calm in the chaos. And what Stephen shows us, how to respond to aggression in, much, in a much more Christ-like way. Like this crowd that he was teaching, one, it was, it was pretty incredible because these men that were in this council that was talking to Stephen, it's, it's highly likely that many of them memorized the first five books of the Bible. And like if I asked you all for five verses, we might struggle. We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized, highly intellectual men, highly educated men, dedicated to the, to the word of God. And, and then Stephen gives this speech that we'll get to. It's like this speech, this sermon, and it was just blowing their minds. But th this was a hostile moment, trust me. At the end of the speech, it says they're gnashing their teeth in anger. When things gets, get crazy, it's easy to lose our composure. When we lose our composure, we can lose sight of the bigger, bigger battle at hand. Kyle, your pastor, always says about issues, the problem is not the problem. Think about it. The problem is not the problem. And that's so true. Stephen is not getting mad with lost people for acting like lost people. He's trying to calmly yet passionately explain that the only hope they have is Christ. Even facing death. And that's my next sermon point. By faith, we preach. Stephen preaches to his accusations. And man, I don't have all of this because it would, it's a lot. It's a lot of verses. But I really encourage you, go read his speech, Stephen's speech. Again, these highly intellectual men, he goes just through the history of the Old Testament, of the prophets, of Moses, of Aaron. And he's explaining in detail to these men that are so intellectual. Because he wanted them to be saved. He knew that their only hope was Christ. He was tying Jesus to the law of Moses in this speech. He was making them understand that, hey, what you know of the prophets, Jesus fulfilled just recently. He was crucified and rose again. But Stephen knew that someone had to preach to them. They had to hear it. And so Practically, I just want to talk with us. Man, how will our neighbors know? Everyone in here has someone in their life that doesn't know the gospel. And how will they know the gospel? How will they hear the gospel unless it's preached to them? That's not my job. I mean, on Sunday. But practically, I guess practically I want to give you some advice in that. Man, just do it. Like the things that you're passionate about you will find ways to bring up in conversations. You don't believe me? I just did a shameless plug for my ministry. 
in this, in this sermon. I'm passionate about S2L. There's not anyone that, if I talk longer than two minutes, you're going to know about S2L. I'm passionate about it. So when, with this, when the call to preach, that's to us to just open our mouths and talk about what we're passionate about. And I plead with you, if you're not passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ, search your heart. If 18 to 20-year-olds catching a football or shooting a basketball or hitting a baseball is more important than the gospel of Christ, please search your heart. You'll find ways to bring it up. And I get it, guys. It's kind of awkward. Even now, you're kind of thinking like, what do you mean? My neighbor out there raking? I just go, hey, man, you know, Jesus died for you. <laughs> no, but what if you were just, hey, man, I just, I just want you to know my family, we're, we're really strong believers in the power of prayer. Can we pray for you? Is there anything going on with you and your household that we could pray for? Or maybe at lunch today when the waitress or waiter comes up, hey, you know, we're a praying family. Uh, we're going to pray for our food. Is there something we could pray for you about? That opens up the door. Just be intentional about putting it into your conversation. Open our mouths to preach. And then Stephen gets to the end of his message, and man, he has daggers of conviction that he calmly hurls at his accusers. This is Acts 7, 51 through 60. <laughs> you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law was delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, by faith. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He couldn't do that in his own power. And, and here's, here's what I want us to know in preaching to myself. The same power that was alive and work in Stephen, when it was be, having rocks thrown at his head to murder him, the F word he chose to say was forgive. Forgive. That's the same power that is at work in him and is at work in you if you are a Christ one. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you surrendered your life to him, that same power that we read about from the heroes of our faith, from the men that we've seen in our life that I that we that are real like power is alive and at work in you. 
So for my final point, by faith, take courage. Man, if you can take one thing with you from the message today, looking at Stephen's life, it's to take courage, like literally. Because you have faith in Jesus, be filled with courage. Not because you have some bold, courageous lean that God designed you. If the Spirit of God is alive, that same one is in the apostles that would get beat and they would leave rejoicing. The same power that is alive and at work in you is at, at work in the ones that refused to accept release when facing torture. Live sent, life point. Live sent. Life for the gospel, and through which he glorified God. And like I said earlier, there was a movement of the gospel amongst the nations. Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of our church, not the wealth, not the charisma, not the social media following, but the blood of the martyrs is why we have our church today. What are we willing to do? What are we, how are we going to, by faith, take courage to live differently today? As I said, Stephen was the first martyr, and, and it's also been written, and I, and I don't know who wrote this, but the church owes Stephen for Paul. The guy that they were laying his, his jacket, they were laying their garments at the feet of Paul or Saul at the time, and he watched Stephen be stoned. I wonder after that road to Damascus, I wonder if when Paul's conversion happened, he must have been thinking over and over about Stephen. The church owes Stephen for Paul. Man, I challenge us today. Can the church owe Stephen for you? What does that look like? Well, Paul wrote 70% of the New Testament and the canon's closed, so you can't write the Bible anymore. You can't add to the Bible, but what can you do? Maybe it's not shutting the mouths of lions, but maybe it's serving faithfully in a ministry. Like I said, preschool ministry. Maybe it's serving like in Brazil as your head pastor's coming back today or yesterday or tomorrow. Whatever it is, God's given you unique gifts and talents. But will you continue, will I continue to use them on me? Or will I give them, will I just use them to bring God glory? I'm going to do something that might be a little different. I'm going to have the, the worship team come back up. We're going to have a time of response here in just a moment. And I'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But again, by faith, take courage. If you've tasted that the Lord is good by faith, by faith, you're a believer, and at any point in your life, you've tasted that the Lord is good, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to look around. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. This is a cloud of witnesses. And the Bible says, therefore, since we've been reading of these Old Testament heroes, look in this room, you've tasted that the Lord is good by faith. This is a cloud of witnesses, so let's run our race. Let's cling to Christ. Let's cut away any weight and sin. And notice it, distinct, it's weight and sin. So if there's anything in our lives that is that's keeping us from serving him in obedience by faith, you cut it. It doesn't have to just be sin. It's clearly weight and sin. And I would argue that eventually that weight becomes sin because you're putting it somewhere. So as we respond, I'm going to play a song. You can respond where you are. You could sing. You can close your eyes. But also, again, this is different. Every Thursday night, we have a service here called Catapult, and we offer a time of response as well because God's Word promises a few things, that when His Word goes out, it doesn't return void. And in the book of Psalms, it also says that when His, his Word goes out, that it heals. And so I, I want to welcome you. If you want to come and you want to pray, let's make this an altar. Not an altar of sacrificing an animal, but what about laying down your pride? By faith, take courage. Who gives a rip what anyone thinks besides you and what you do? If God's nudging you to come up here and lay something down, maybe it's to repent. Man, the, the, the mark of a Christian life is repentance, brothers and sisters. That doesn't just happen at salvation. You don't just, oh, I gave my life to Christ and I repented. No, no, no. If you are a believer, your life is earmarked with repentance. I had to repent because I was thrown out of a Little League baseball game. By faith, take courage. If there's anything that you've heard me preach, take courage because of your faith in Christ. Let's respond to the word today, whether it be right there. Again, I'm not trying to pressure anyone, but this is open. And there is something powerful about this. If you feel this urge, there's something powerful about this. Watch. All of the heroes of our faith, all of them had to do this first. You ready? It had to take a step. And it might be nerve-wracking, but if you feel God calling you to come up here and lay something down, the deacons are going to be spread out. If you want to be prayed for, step out. Let that be your earmark of courage today. Let that be how things start, that you don't leave this room, this sermon different, or you do leave different than ever before. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that's alive and at work in you if you're a believer. Let's respond to that. Let's respond.